0: This week's Escape Pod is sponsored by Audible.com. More details after the story. For your free audiobook download, go to audible.com slash escape pod SFF. Escape Pod 177 September 26, 2008 Today's story, Usurpers, by Derek Zumstig. Hello, and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. This week, we have another close-to-present-day story for you. Heinlein once said there are only three plots in fiction. Boy Meets Girl, The Man Who Learned Better, and The Little Tailor. That's the seven-in-one blow story, where the ordinary guy overcomes impossible odds through cleverness. I can say with total confidence that this story is one of those three. We present Usurpers by Derek Zumsteg. Mr. Zumsteg lives in Washington State and is primarily a sports writer, one of the key names at the main Seattle Mariners blog, USS Mariners. His first book, The Cheater's Guide to Baseball, came out from Hofton Mifflin last year, and he's in this year's Best American Sports Writing for a piece about Bugs Bunny. He's appeared here before as well with one of our all-time most popular stories, Conversations With and About My Electric Toothbrush. This week's story appeared in the September issue of Asimov's, probably still on the shelves at your local good bookstore. Final personal note, the reading of this story is dedicated to the professor, who got me started on running earlier this year, and to her husband for keeping her going. So, eat Light, stretch a bit. It's story time. Usurpers by Derek Zumsteg Out of the bus and into the park Teenage cattle mill in the drizzle, making friendly, hostile noises at each other, butting heads, slapping butts. King walks among the herd, sniffing for the knockoffs, scent of new car on 16th birthday, looking for the bleached teeth and perfect, acne-free faces. King's legs feel springy, light, fresh. They want to run. The bunkered computer gave him two days off, and it's been all King could do to not sprint down hallways, race cars. King spots a knockoff cluster, glowing sunny in the rain, too fit, perfectly proportioned. Tear off some burnished bronze, never-burning skin. Shove it under a microscope, see the designer's signature. Chinese characters like tattoos on the necks of college girls. Fifty kids, fifteen to eighteen, stamp their feet. Stretch, check each other out, hopping in place to stay loose, bitching about the bus ride over, vinyl benches fucked up their back if they're from a poor zip. Those boys recognize King, stop him as he passes, exchange complicated handshakes, wish him luck and mean it, tell him to fuck shit up and mean it. King seeks someone he hates for pre race greeting and unpleasantries. Steve, rich white kid. Last year, Steve ranked 12th at best all year after he placed second to King in semis. This year, he ran first. 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 King, unranked. Unbelievable. Unfucking acceptable. All 10 ranked cross country runners this season took family trips to China after school let out last year. When they'd returned and established dominance, King took the ASICS guy up on his offer to join the experimental training program. Found himself running by himself, following daily instructions from an email address. King knows there's a machine on the other end, some oracle in some data center chewing on his performance data full-time. Responds only to email, immediately, all hours. No vacation this year for King. Every day, woke early for the morning run usually intervals, then a nap and back out for the longer afternoon run. No job, no more smoking up, ever. No girls, but after the losses, no fans anyway. King's only steady supporter, one girl from pep. Still brought cookies, taped cheesy construction paper running shoes on King's locker on meet days. Did not go unnoticed. King reserved particular spots in future court for subjects loyal during trying times. Despite newly created competition, King still made state. Represents worst school in a shithole of a district. Gerrymandered to include all the cheap housing and a commercial wasteland. Collapsed strip malls occupied by cut-cut-rate pizza delivery outlets. Stores selling all products at fixed prices. King finds the Kentwood team. Steve. Common King adjectives from clippings one year ago. Athletic fiery, explosive, gifted, temperamental, powerful, intuitive. Common Steve adjectives from this year's clippings. Handsome, self-effacing, dedicated, hard-working, outgoing, forthright, competitive, team leader. Unused king adjectives. Black, African-American. Unused Steve adjectives. Caucasian, white. Gene doper. The Kentwood team orbits Steve. They wear microfiber jerseys, custom-fitted Nikes that suit their running style, pronation, whatever, all in school colors. King's shoes match theirs. King took them from the Kentwood locker room early in the season while they were in the shower tugging each other and joking. Ha ha, that's what it'd be like if we were gay. Had time to find the right size. Not even stealing. It's all King's property. Reserves the right to revoke grants. They do not notice King wears the same brand and model of shoes. After reclamation, King did some detail work with a permanent art marker and swapped out white laces for bright gold ones. Plus, they are stupid. Makes King smile. Their school district rated the finest. Line shows and property values. Not that King has a house. Lives in an apartment. White Mike the drug dealer in the unit below. King excuses himself through the cordon, makes eye contact. King switches his voice, friendly face. Hey, Steve, how are you? Nice to see you again. Steve wants to be the sportsman, magnanimous, rich man's burden. Pulls the oxygen mask down to give King the winner nod. Hey, King, what's up? Draws out the s. King keeps his smile fixed. Steve sticks out an open hand. They clasp, shake once, firm, not aggressive, no multi-stage, obviously. Maintain voice. I missed you at the Ocean Shores invite. King says I heard you took a family vacation. Steve's family frequently mentioned in stories of the Boston Prescotts, it implies good breeding, societal pre-approval. Yeah, yeah, it took a whole month. Heard you did well at Ocean Shores. Congratulations. King won Ocean Shore's Invitational. Early summer, rich kids still across the Pacific. Beautiful race. King now looks at the trophy and tastes ash. How did you like China? The Great Wall was great. Did you all go over together? Loaded question. Steve Bites starts to list off the other now-ranked runners who went with him. King should have asked for account numbers, pins. Cool, cool. Sounds like fun. King says. Yeah, yeah, Steve says, nodding head. He kicks at the ground with toe of one foot. Embarrassment. Does he feel shame? King decides to stick the knife. Then let me ask you, King says. If you guys are all the same genome, when you jerk each other off in the showers, is that incest? Steve twitches, faces sour. Is that a joke? Steve says. Incest isn't funny. King pauses. Was that over your heads? Really? King shakes head, sighs in resignation. Fuck it. Steve, my man, when you went over there, did they fix that shrinky dick problem of yours? Steve flushes red. Can't go wrong with dick insults. Of course, right. Daddy's got to look out. Conceal the family shame. King keeps pushing. Steve's blood rich in testosterone, all of it natural, generated by reprogrammed organs. Rage twitches across the shoulders, neck. King circles back to yo mama. Yo mom check out the package, make sure it's all working. Not a tenth of a second before control breaks, Steve yells incoherently. Fuck yeah. Steve pushes King with both hands. King forced two quick steps back, stays up. Wanted the punch, Steve thrown out. "'Instead, it's a scrum. Everyone yells at everyone. "'Long shot hope that Steve's thick blood and the pressure spike "'combine for a clot, a heart attack, a stroke. "'No such luck. "'King to the line. Some shoving, elbow-testing. "'Cameras, though. Deters false starts. Gray hair with a starter pistol, jacket. "'Annoyed expression as he waits for everyone to get behind the chalk. "'King concentrates on his breathing.' The feeling of the wet air on the inhale. King will win. Acknowledge. Set aside. The inhale. Cold. Heavy. The exhale. Warm across his teeth. King's life dedicated to snatching this one win from the domination of the knockoff. Computer priest behind the email address rated his chances under 5%. 5%. Acknowledge. Set thought aside. King concentrates on the breath as it comes and leaves. King finds calm. Each drop of rain on shaved head. Tiny. Cold. King sees everyone at the line. Irrelevant. This is natural. He is King. King starts on the flash, flinching at the sound. Sprints out. King in first. State course. 3.2 miles of rolling park in the rain. Grass. Hill. Picnic areas. Trail. Woods. Circles the lake. Sky color of wet sidewalks, King runs to school on. Course heavy with cut grass, trees, pollen. King retains three trophies for state, going back to junior high. King can't keep the sprint up. Not the plan. Needs to get out in front, set the tone, gather intelligence. King knows the kids, sees the concerned look of their parents, want only the best for their precious. Every opportunity, every luxury, Tear bread crusts from starving orphans if their baby misses a snack. King spent a lot of time looking at performance numbers. Watched the knockoffs. Played pickup basketball at Russell Park. Used only left hand. King's a good sport. King knows they took older, proven knocks, like boosted EPO and testosterone production. Fitz Data. Knockoffs unstoppable at long-distance running. Other shit ruled by that bitch goddess VO2 max almost certainly under WADA limits for college purposes. Small blessing. Careful observation shows extreme punk-ass laziness, but they are all still beautifully cut. King suspects they also opted for faster muscle growth, slower muscle atrophy. On to the trail. Narrow, too wide, path-worn bowl-shaped. Tree-lined, no branches. Evergreens, old. Ferns and shit on the sides. Underbrush cleared. Mouth already dry. Thirst is familiar, like the soreness in his legs every time he wakes up. King's pace inflicts pain. No way parents paid for nerve work. Not worth the expense, the risk. King savors the heaviness in the legs, the burning from calves to quads spreading warmly through the back of the royal ass. Because they don't work, pain is foreign, scary. King's training always painful. It is familiar, comfortable territory. Pace is anaerobic, unmaintainable. He slows up to his normal, punishing race stride. Breath comes in cold gulps. Chaos behind. Pack of fifty squeezes onto the path. Out of sight of the officials, the first trips and takedowns cascade into pile-ups, tangled limbs. Steps close behind King. King glances. Joel. Joel. When King had a job, before King dedicated himself entirely to winning this one race, King bagged groceries. Customers included Joel's parents. No GE produce for them. Can't feed that shit to their growing young boy. Irony not lost on King. King runs down the middle. His path. Why not? Joel tries to pass on the right. King moves right. They bump. Joel drops back. Goes left. King moves left. They collide again, stick, struggling against each other, pumping arms. King's elbow into Joel's ribs. Joel coughs hard. Doesn't matter. No cost. Blood over 50% red cells or some crazy shit. Oxygen-rich molasses. Need to suffocate him to keep his muscles from getting enough air. Does distract. Anger. Joel tries to get his arm free for a straight punch. Awkward. Keeping shoulder to shoulder, King pushes hard off his right foot. Joel stumbles left two steps off the trail. Wide soft whomp with crunch of bark as Joel meets pine tree, whole body flat against the trunk. Tree doesn't move. King runs on. Will not laugh. Waste of oxygen. Keep the pace. Listen. Bottom of King's lungs burning. Still not recovering from his lead out. Sweat cut with rain comes freely down the sides of King's face, runs down the back of his neck. John next did not stop for Joel on ground. John stays back, not ten feet. King can hear his footfalls, his breath. One mile check ahead. King slows down to force John up or around. John takes his chance, makes a clumsy trip attempt. King steps high to come down on the errant leg, cleats scraping all down John's calf. John stumbles, recovers, glares. King laughs in John's ear. John elbows King sharp in the ribs. Hurts. King laughs again. Something flips in John's eyes. His jaw clenches. Face goes bright red. King widens grin. That it? King asks. They corner. A race official stands off-trail, in front of a pine wider than he is, ready to call out their time. Camera on stand on King's right. King stays fixed on the timer, as if intent on hearing his one-mile split, not even letting himself flinch. John's fist comes into the royal ear. The pain spikes. King lets reaction show. King cannot be seen to be flopping, but it must be obvious that it was a real punch. John punches King again, grazes the back of King's head. Past the camera and the timer, his mouth still open, wordless, King and John run past. King puts his body into a forearm to the jaw. John's face gives. John screams. Comes out half-formed, hands up, clutching. King trips him and runs on as John skids on his face through the pine needles, sending them flipping into the air. That's how you do it. King pushes back to race pace. Course turns hard right. King chances a look across his shoulder. Beautiful, semi-reflective Kentwood colors. Steve and more. Course opens up to start mile two. Spaced trees. Carpet of cut grass. Bad for King. Can't block the trail. Realizes wet sensation in ear is blood and rain. One of King's loyal subjects offered alternate plan wait for motherfuckers to show up to local shitty apartment complexes to buy pot. Beat shit out of them on principle. Cut their tendons. King feels the footsteps behind him grow closer and reconsiders the wisdom of refusing that generous offer. Up the hill, steep, long, scattered crowd applauds as he approaches. King attacks, stabbing pain and quads with each lift. Rain and water come with each breath, but King's still thirsty, throat scratchy, painful. Keep the legs going, up and over. Spare a glance back, field thinning again. Knockoffs come up the hill strong, easily. King should not have looked, but worth it to see the pain etched on faces steep descent at 2.4, body straight to the slope, a 45 to gravity, keep legs churning, feet touching lightly, hard to do at speed normally, rain slit grass increases degree of difficulty, king gets the full ten points for style, impeccable form. King paid for this knowledge, ran the course all summer, in morning dew, in pouring rain, dry, scorched, while fresh and tired, first thing in the morning. For afternoon practices, at night. Walked it on his off days. Visualized running over and over. King dreamt about the course, woke up, and ran it. King finishes the hill and starts running again, legs firing pain. His lead is huge, too large. Spooks the knockoffs. Course falls gently to the shoreline. Cattails, algae, lake surface rippling under fat raindrops. Annoyed ducks paddle away from the shore, glaring back. The knockoffs catch King at 2-5, halfway around the pond. Steve runs his Kentwood team the smart way. Two pass him at once, one to each side. Get a little ahead of him, keep him from sprinting past. King boxed, both leaning into him, tangling arms. Steve, others, run around the outside. Bullshit. They're in pain, but breathing easier than he is, not as flushed. King aware of his soaked, unbreathable, piece-of-shit cheap uniform. Bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. At least they're in too much pain to talk. King in sixth place. Rage so hot the heavy wet trees should ignite. Sixth. King thinks of it with every desperate breath. Sixth. The pace punishes him. Sixth! Deep pain in the calves, quads, breathing managing only in exhales, stomach clenched in a tight fist. Every step a knifing pain up the front of his shins makes King want to scream. Shins never hurt before. King does not yell out, or even slow. King will not drop. King will not kneel. King will not finish. Sixth! King's body adds more lies. Tells King to stop or it will fly apart. King concentrates on his quick breath, pushing the exhale out, out, throat raw. King knows how much air he can push to his muscles and how fast he can go given that much oxygen, how quickly he can turn his legs over. Skip school to talk to a university physiology prof. They came up with a theoretical number, if the body didn't lie. Discussed motivation and sports psychology, too. Prof kept looking at King like she wanted to say something else. Keeps in touch. They may publish. How fast could he run if? Useless. If King wasn't human, he could run faster. If there wasn't gravity, King could jump to the moon. If King had money, he could be knocked too, if he wanted. The greatest ultramarathoners, the endurance cyclists, go crazy. See things. Hallucinate demons chasing them. Brain forces the body to respond to imaginary threats, stop bitching about lactic acid buildup. Find the if. King's demons are real and ahead of him. If. King had suppressed the number, better off not thinking about it, went back to his oracle-designed training programs. Still, the if nagged, kept coming around. Like running five-minute miles, knowing someone, somewhere, ran one in a four. King holds on, keeps the knockoffs in front of him. Pain follows by a half-step. Something hurts up in the left shoulder now, a pull under his peck every other step. It doesn't make sense at all. King thinks of the five runners in front of him. Their calves, perfectly defined, identical through the group, seem to rise easily, flip forward without effort. Keep a rhythm stay with them. King did ten-mile hilly runs around the water reservoir because some program hiding behind an alias told him to. Three miles? Please. At two-seven, the turn back into the woods, claustrophobic, denser, older growth at the periphery, between the evergreens, the tangle of brush edging the path. Steve cranks his head around. You doing all right back there, King? Steve yells. King feels the anger across his shoulders, down his arms. Steve has breath enough to taunt. Fists clench. King reaches out and pulls hard on the jersey of the Kentwood laggard. Almost no give at all, like grabbing the strap on the shopping carts. Convenient. Kentwoody comes up flat to the ground, drops feet still churning, eyes wide. King would spit on him if he were less careful about breath management. The other woodies hear his cry, turn to look, slowing slightly as they come around. King accelerates, adrenaline flooding his veins, bumps across the left to get in front. King trained to manage a pursuit pace for the last 400 yards in emergencies. His supposed trainer threw intervals, brutal sprint-rest-sprint-rest sets, into his weeks at random. King could chase anything down over 400 yards. The finish line, a half mile away four times the distance. King goes. The knockoffs yell things, sprint ahead at King's side, finally gasping as they stay with him. Tears stream from their eyes. The five go with him. King keeps sprinting. The pain builds with each breath, a furnace in his lungs. Confused nerves, soft warmth and lightheadedness fuzzy on his skin, while pain roars in his ear, pounds at his temples. Each time his feet touch and he strides, he feels the sharp complaint as his body mounts revolution. Shutdown impulses fight with King, eyelids heavy, fatigue clouding vision. King in first, as it should be, righteous. King hopes they will hand him a stack of scholarship offers at the finish line, key to the city, all the trophies he missed out on. Two drop immediately, their feet falling out of rhythm and then away. Three left, three hundred yards. Another goes, technique and form sacrificed to keep up, tripping on some piece of turf and tumbling. Two. Steve is with King, the other dropping. King expels breath and roar after roar. Steve's gasps carry a little high-pitched sob. Steve can get enough oxygen, but not enough will. The corners of King's mouth turn up. The last hundred yards complete the circle to the start, across the wide, deep-grassed field, an audience waiting. Steve is weak and undeserving. King is right to destroy him. The teams and the parents stare. Steve comes up a fraction short on his next stride, and King knows he has won. The next stride Steve drops a full inch. The crowd stare. Steve's shoulders slump as he falls out of King's peripheral vision. You like that? King, unranked, winner. Loser, 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 usurper, and state champion. You want to know what's up, Steve? What is up is you lose. King never allowed himself to doubt, but there is unexpected joy. It washes over the pain he ignores as he approaches the chute, unable to hear Steve's feet. Into the chute, King takes the number one marker from the same guy who fired the starter pistol, Hail to the king, baby. King slows to a jog, heavy legs stomping down. King surveys. Race officials. Girls varsity in their shorts and tops, anxious for the next start. Families. Girl from pep holding a plastic gold crown in her hand. King smiles. May deign to wear it. No one makes any noise. They all look at king, mute, immobile. King goes from jog to walk. Doubles over. Vomits. Stands. Steve approaches the chute. Ten seconds? Fifteen? Steve's face deeply lined, tears coming down freely. The chute official shakes his head, hands Steve the second marker. Steve staggers, about to drop to his knees, but stops, standing, blinking, at the end of chute, staring at the race clock. King looks at the clock. Impossible time im-fucking-possible. Imaginary like Pi, or E, or the temperature of King's anger. A secret escaped from the deep of his head and expressed number colon number dot number. King feels laughter bubble up from deep inside his chest for the first time in memory. Start and finish cameras. The race clock is certified. It's real, even though it cannot be real. No one talks, Applauds. Coughs. Yells. Even King's laughter is silent. They are all, the officials, King's subjects having long conceded hope, the high-zip, China-traveling motherfuckers, stunned at the scope of King's victory. Only sound the soft fall of rain over everything. A moment of silence for the coronation. And that was our story. I could say a lot about its structure and style and theme, but I'm going to use this instead as a springboard for the exercise rant I've had building up for a while. I have, most of my life, been a typical geek. Sedentary, not much time to get outside, and considerably overweight. I had kind of a backwards life change in the past year, I lost a whole lot of weight because I was stressed and forgetting to eat, and then, once the stress was over, I started thinking about exercising. I took up running under a friend's guidance, then in the summer, when it's too hot to run in Georgia, I joined a cheap gym and went there several times a week. What I learned is going to sound tedious to some of you. I can't say anything about you as an individual, but I know science fiction fandom. I'm a part of it. And I can say with confidence that most of us don't even put fitness in our top 10 things to do on any given day. I think we should, but not for the reasons that mass culture tells us we should. Geeks aren't that motivated by looks, or by losing weight for its own sake, and that's fine. I'm not either. I chose to exercise for my brain. The evidence is overwhelming that being in decent cardiovascular shape makes you smarter. You have more oxygen going to the brain, you have clearer thinking, better learning, more energy, and in my case, it was the best thing I did for my anxiety and mood. These are goals that we geeks can get behind. Many of us are knowledge workers, we value our intellects more than anything else, and it's good strategy to spend half an hour a day improving your capabilities. I also did lose weight, and people tell me I look better, but those are side effects. They don't get me on the treadmill. Being more effective and feeling really good do that. If you try it yourself and it works for you, let me know. Or post in our forums. Maybe it'll spin off a geek fitness community or something. By the way, we're sponsored this week by Audible.com, purveyors of fine spoken word audio on the internet with over 40,000 titles. Apropos of that whole brain thing, one of the most fascinating books I've read lately was Brain Rules by John Medina. Dr. Medina's a molecular biologist who talks a lot about the evolution of the brain and how it works. I heard him on a tech podcast telling the interviewer that if you wanted to make an educational environment that minimized the chances of learning, it'd probably look a lot like a modern school. And if you wanted a work environment that was hostile to productive thinking, it'd look a lot like office cubicles. At that point, I had to buy the book. It isn't all theory and social criticism. There are practical tips for thinking and learning better. His chapter on exercise and what it does for brain activity was one of the things that got me to walk into the gym that day. So, yes, I recommend it. And if you want to hear it for free, you could choose it as your free download when you sign up for a free trial at audible.com/escapepodSFF. If you cancel the trial, you keep the book, so there's no risk. Once again, the URL is audible.com/escapepodSFF. Let's hit some feedback. Escape Pod 170, Pervert, was Charles Coleman Finley's piece about a man in a highly gender-separated, homosexual-dominant future where there isn't even a word for the disorder of desiring the opposite sex. This story didn't go over well, but it wasn't because the subject matter offended anyone. We just had a lot of mess, and it fell flats. Thirteen was positive. She said it spoke to some of her own experiences. Ali and Zaka found it evocative as well but we had a lot of structural criticism. Iron Guedon wrote, Guess I wasn't mature enough, Steve. It was so ham-fisted, telegraphing the social commentary in such a blatant way, I couldn't even finish this story. Others said much the same. The forum thread, after a digression into just how many recent escape pod stories had sex in them, delved pretty deeply into the biology of the hydrosexual mating practices on which the story's ending hinged. Was this a story about humans? Yes, because the Bible quotes were accurate. Were they humans as we know them now? No, because women don't work that way. And most people who expressed an opinion about it were glad. That story point also inspired the quote of the week. Duffer said, Stories that are only about sex and finding new and strange ways to write about it are not that interesting. Give me a space battle. To which Schreiber responded, The way space battles work in the pervert universe is that one side leaves a point in space laden with mines and torpedoes, then flies away, and waits for the other side to show up and crash into them. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated, and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. You can copy it and share it all you like, but please don't sell it, change it, or re-engineer its reproductive process. All other rights are reserved by our authors. If you like this week's story, please tell a friend or blog about us. And if you really like it, consider leaving a donation via the PayPal link at our site, escapepod.org. Also check out our fantasy podcast, PodCastle, and our horror podcast, Pseudopod, both at their .org domains. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation comes from late great running author Dr. George Sheehan, who wrote... Everyone is an athlete. The only difference is that some of us are in training and some are not. We'll see you next week. Until then, have fun.